Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Wednesday edition of the podcast. Um, I'm going to talk basketball on this one. Uh, around that time, we start kind of really doing a deep dive on this men's team because the season's uh, about six weeks out from finishing NTA tournament right around the corner. And good time to do it, Jared. Um, the the mm-hmm. answer that the men are look, preseason ex- expectations had this team as a top 15 team. I felt like they were a dark horse for the final four. That wasn't uh, a, an out there-ish thought on this team. There were people that in the national media that said, hey, I'm not picking them, but don't be surprised if come April that they maybe are in the Elite Eight trying to make that final four. Um, obviously this season has not gone a hundred percent as planned. They were six and six at one point in the season yet. Here they are middle of February. They are half a game out of second place that will remedy itself on Thursday when they play Stanford. And if they win, they'll be in a position to, uh, stay ahead of UCLA with the tiebreaker for the number two spot. They've won nine of their last ten. Let's start here. How do you think it's close? Do you think it's possible that this team could maybe get back to its preseason expectations by the end of the year and finish inside the top twenty-five? Is it realistic to think this team could play their way to a five or a six seed? I mean, getting back in the top twenty-five, sure potentially playing their way to a six seed or five seed, sure. Um, Getting back to preseason expectations, probably not, uh, to answer all parts of the question. Um, Just like you said, the preseason preseason expectations were very high. Um, They were the preseason number two team in the Pac-12 behind UCLA, who frankly is a Final Four contender, who is a national title hopeful for most people. Um, They're one of the best teams in the country. And a lot of people thought that Oregon was going to be near that level of that good. Um, and it's easy to see why. You know, this is a Dana Altman-led team who's a fantastic coach, who's got a lot of depth and a lot of talent and a lot of experience. And, you know, some, something similar the last time Oregon kind of had that was that 2016-2017 that team or where they, you know, made a run at the Final Four as well. Um, so that's why those preseason expectations were there. Um, things obviously haven't gone according to plan, just like you were saying, Matt. Um, you know, a myriad of COVID issues with the program, with other programs, just never getting off into a rhythm. Um, the hot and slow start to begin the season um, just took a while. But, you know, as very similar to all Dana Altman teams, it found its groove. Um, I think it found its groove earlier than I had anticipated. Um but they've kept it through. It's not like they've peaked in January and they're going to just, you know, roll over and die come February and March. So I think they can get back in the top 25. Um, they receive votes just about every week. Um, not many, but they receive votes. So they're still on a national scale. Like you said, they've won nine of the last 10. The PAC 12 is a decent division when it comes to college basketball. Um, and they still have a couple games left with the LA schools and Arizona. Um, those would be your biggest opportunities to get back into that 
top 25, five or six seed nationally conversation. Um, if Oregon sweeps those games, which I don't expect, um, you know, that's five and oh this season against top 15, top 17 teams in the country. I'm not, I don't remember where USC is ranked off the top of my head, but Arizona and UCLA have been top 10 teams for yeah. most, if not all of the season, especially UCLA. So, to go in there and sweep that series would be exceptional. It would really boost their resume. Um, I think regardless of how they finish the season, well, maybe not regardless, but I do think that they're a tournament team barring a unforeseen, you know, losing eight straight games or something like that. Um, I think they're a good enough team. I think they're clicking. I think Will Richardson is capable of leading this team into the postseason. Um, you know, I, I still worry a lot about this team. Uh, sometimes the games, unless it was that Washington victory, um, are a lot of uh, a lot of tense, a lot of close moments. Um, so I think there's still a lot of room to improve, which is encouraging when you have Dana Altman leading the way. This Oregon team in the net, um, which is a ranking the NCAA committee will be using to seed teams. They're currently 52nd as of Wednesday morning. Um, that will change Thursday before they play Stanford. And then it'll, it'll change win or lose, you know, up or down, depending on the result, Friday morning. What's holding Oregon down right now is because they've played, they've played a tough schedule. You know, they, they have on their schedule games – uh, against Texas Southern, who was a tournament team last year and will probably be one this year. SMU was a popular pick to make the tournament this year. BYU, they're a tournament team. St. Mary's, they're a tournament team. Houston's a top 15 team. Uh, Baylor is, was at the time when they came to Matinat Arena, the number one ranked team in the country. Um, and then obviously the games uh, against UCLA, USC already have been played. Washington State is a very sneaky game. They're a fringe tournament team. Uh, and then they've got the Arizona game. You know, so they, they've played a tough schedule. What What's hurting Oregon's chances in the tournament is a 3-2 and two record against quad three opponents. And those two losses happen to unfortunately be at home. They lost in December to Arizona State on a buzzer beater at home. Uh, and then they lost to Colorado a couple weeks ago, a game in which they led by, I think, 14 or 15 points in the first half and let that game slip away. Um, those two losses at home are really pulling down Oregon's seed possibilities and NCAA tournament possibilities. You look at you look across the country, uh, look across the media outlets nationally, and Oregon's right around that 10 to a 12 seed. Um, depending on who you look at. Now, they're two and four against quad one, but they're going to have a couple opportunities here in the next couple of weeks to bump that number up and potentially even end the year with a winning record against quad one opponents. Um, the Arizona road game is huge. The home game against UCLA will be a quad one game. Um, USC is is kind of teetering between quad one and quad two at home. So that could depend on how they finish the season. And then the Washington state game on the road, like I said, will be another quad one game before you go to the PAC 12 tournament. Um, I, I think barring a total utter collapse um, over the final, how many games do they have? 
one, two, three, real quick count, uh, five, ten games over their final ten games. I, utter collapse would be six mm-hmm. and four, five and five, really, um, for this team to, to not make the tournament. Are you buying the fact that there's a more likely chance that Oregon finishes out, um, let's say, they've got nine games on the schedule plus one Pac-12 tournament game that's guaranteed, so ten games. Over the final ten, are you buying the fact that this team finishes seven and three or worse than that? Um, I'm going to buy seven and three, and probably, honestly, Jared, I think this team may go – nine and one in their next 10 game stretch. Really? Yeah. I, I think they're going to, I think the only game they're going to lose is at Arizona. I, I, I don't think USC is, is as good as their number 12 ranking. So 21 ranking, excuse me, suggests. I think Matt and arena will be pretty loud, pretty hostile. They match up well with UCLA who doesn't play necessarily really well away from home. Um, the Washington State road game scares me, and the Arizona State road game scares me a little bit. But they've got or Richardson is. If Oregon was playing better in December and they didn't lose to Colorado and and Arizona State, mm-hmm. Richardson might be like the second in position to win Pac-12 Player of the Year. His numbers are absurd right now. Um, Jacob Young has kind of solidified himself as the number two. And then you've, you've got a rotation of Devion Harmon, Quincy Guerrier, and Fale Dante and right. Eric Williams. Among those four guys, one of them you know, every night is kind of your number three go-to player. But I just look at Richardson and Young together. Um, I have a hard time seeing a lot of these – opponents that they're going to play coming up, being able to contain them. and Yeah, maybe I'm out on a limb a little bit here, but I think Oregon's going to finish their next 10, 9-1, and one, and be in a position where we could be talking a, a 60 going into the Pac-12 tournament on the being on the table. Yeah, I mean, that's a possibility. That's uh, probably what I'm not anticipating. Um, you know, I look at all three of those games against – Arizona, UCLA, and USC. And I looked at those games, Oregon could lose all three of those. And it wouldn't shock me if they lost all three of them. Um, you know, I, I really like how Oregon is playing right now. Um, there's still just something that doesn't click. That's the issue. Um, they get stagnant offense a lot, which, you know, it's happened under Dana Altman teams. It is what it is. But it's almost too stagnant. They have Will Richardson. And he's one of the best players in the Pac-12, but he's not, you know, going out there and showing like he's the best player in the Pac-12 more often than not. Um, Jacob Young could be hit or miss. Um, Nifale Dante and Frank Kepnong have been have been better of late, but not in the last two games. Um, and I'm not trying to be overly critical of this team because no, sure. I do think that they're a good team. But you know, when you're talking about how Arizona has played and how UCLA has played and for you know, the most part, how USC has played. You know, those are three legitimate teams. I think USC, excuse me, is a little overrated, just like you were saying, Matt. Um, but I still think on any given night they can give somebody a run for their money. Um, I know the final score will indicate it, but their game against Arizona, you know, they played that really close for three quarters of the game. 
And Arizona's a very talented team who just beat UCLA by plenty. And so that's my problem is a game, like you were saying, at Arizona State, you know, who's going to show up for Oregon that game? Yeah. Is it going to be how it was against Colorado where they win by 20 and play astounding defense and hit shots in the perimeter and really get somebody either young or Richardson going on offense? Or is it going to be like the last seven minutes against Utah where they blow a 14-point lead with five minutes to go and allow a 19-4 to run and turn the ball over four times in the last 90 seconds? What's it going to be? That's my question. And Oregon's 9 of 10 for wins has been great. And they've had a lot of blowout victories in those games. But, you know, we'll go back to that Colorado game where they, again, blew another huge lead. Um, and I'm pretty sure they had a lead against Arizona State, too, if I remember correctly. Um, the My overarching issue with the team is that they're just not consistent for 40 minutes yet. There's still an opportunity for them to get better. And that's what I was talking about in the last segment, where that's a really good thing if you have a Dana Allman team. Because seemingly in the past, he has devised a system or whatever it may be to figure out how to get the best out of every single team and concentrate on the weaknesses and, and turn those sometimes even into strengths. But if I had to give a prediction for the final 10, I'd probably say seven and three or six and four. Um, I think, I think that they just drop at least two or three games um, to that Arizona UCLA USC run. I think that's that's the toughest run in the Pac-12 easily. Uh, it, it, it's, app- it, it's fair. I mean, this team hasn't consistently now they've they've won nine of their last ten, but they haven't consistently played the same way in those 10 games. So like, I understand where your logic is coming from. Like they got, they got a little lucky. They didn't cough up the game at Utah. Um, They were in a position where they got a little fortuitous help with UCLA and USC, not having fans in their arenas when Oregon played them and won. Um, They beat Mm -hmm. UCLA by three in overtime in a game in which they almost coughed that up. Um, I don't think it really mattered right. with, with fans or not at USC. They they just destroyed yeah. USC. Um, Oregon State was a game in which Oregon needed a three-pointer by Eric Williams with 14 seconds left in the game to, to break a 74-74 tie. And then they still almost kind of coughed it up with Oregon right. State. Right, Alatiche missed that light, like wide-open layup to end the game. Right. So – I guess so. I, I see where you're coming from. Um, do you think there's time left in the season where they have the opportunity to prove to you that that? And and look, I I'm not 100 confident that Oregon's going to go nine and one. Maybe that's a little bold by my stand, you know, by my statement. But is there enough time where you could get on board with this team being? Uh, 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 hey, don't play them in the tournament because they could they could be a, they could be a second weekend team uh, if they get the right oh. draw. Can they get there in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. This is not a team I'd like to play. It's as simple as that. It's you know, if this team were consistent, 
And I think this is the overarching theme of the season. If this team were consistent, they're a top 15 team in the country. They have a lot of depth. They have a lot of talent. They have a lot of bodies they can throw at you at all different sizes. You know, they are not a team you want to mess with if they're on a roll. Um, I think they're, they, you know, they, they lived up to their expectations. Yeah. I think the number two preseason projection was, was right. Um, I like this Oregon team a lot. My only issues is what am I going to get on a, on a day-to-day game-to-game basis? And so in terms of if there's time left for them to figure it out, of course there is. There's plenty of weeks until the tournament, and that's all that matters is just getting there to the tournament. Because we saw with the Peyton Pritchard, uh, Luke King, that team, you know, that wasn't a very talented regular season team. But they caught fire really late in the season and made their way to, you know, an, uh, an opportunity against Virginia, the eventual national champions, and only lost by a few points. I'm not sure if that'll be the same situation as it is for this year's team. But, yeah, I still feel like they can put it out there. I still feel like they're, they're talented enough and can find some consistency later in the season and really make a run at this. What do you feel like is going to be the Achilles heel for this team, whether it's in the tournament or down the stretch? Because for me, their rebounding numbers have not been stellar, and it's led to some teams being able to put up some not-so-great-for-Oregon's perspective second-chance opportunities. Um, I, I, I wonder with this team that – they rely so much on Jacob Young and Will Richardson to be the guys, and neither of them are, you know, back to your basket, mid, you know, short game, mid-range type guys. Um, Richardson leads the conference or is second in the conference in three-point shooting percentage. Um, Jacob Young is terrific at creating fast-break opportunities, but when he gets into a half-court offense, I think his efficiency maybe slows down a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. my fear is this team's going to run up against somebody that's pretty much as big as Oregon because Oregon's a pretty big team. Um, but maybe specifically at the guard spots bigger than Oregon and has the size down low as well to match Oregon size. And they run into a situation where it's a cold shooting night and they're not going to have a consistent um, back-to-the-basket go-to threat, and then they get killed on the boards. I think I think that's the type of team out there that's going to give Oregon problems, someone who can match their size and can play elite defense because Oregon does not have I, – I don't think they have – they don't have like a, a, a true elite go-to option on the block. Like – Eugene Amarui was last season. Um, yeah. Like Chris Boucher, Jordan Bell, Dylan Brooks, that sweet six, that final four team. Um, Paul White, yeah. um, the, the, the sweet 16 year. Um, they don't have that guy on this team. And, and I think that's going to be pretty critical. Yeah, I don't necessarily think they have that guy either. Um, I think that Nefale Dante in certain situations is that guy. Uh, when he goes against somebody who's wider than him, he struggles. But when he goes against somebody who is like of the same length or at least physical, like 
physically wise, they're the same type of player. Um, he doesn't do too bad. So I think he could be an option down there. Um, in terms of Achilles heel, um, you know, if I were, if I were Oregon, I think the one thing I'd really be worried about is if the other team just has a one singular guard, that's a dominant defender and can throw him on Will Richardson. And then where do you go if you're Oregon? Because Jacob Young is talented, um, but he is very hit or miss. Um, he's been much better of late in terms of just blatant consistency and being able to score the ball from all three levels. But he's still a little hit or miss. And if it's an on night in that hypothetical scenario where Will Richardson is getting locked down, um, then I think Oregon could pull something through. But if it's an off night, well, you're relying on Nafale Dante and Davion Harmon and Eric Williams or Rivaldo Soares to produce – and I'm not sure that's something that anybody would want to see. Um, I think all of those guys are capable of putting in 10 to 15 points a night. Uh, Davion Harmon's been very good here in the last couple of weeks. But to lead an offense, you know, that would be a nightmare scenario if you're Oregon. Um, you know, if they run into further down the line, if they run into somebody like, I don't know, like Purdue and where Jaden Ivey can just guard him on both ends. Um, you know, that's that's going to be tough for Oregon in terms of just being able to find some offensive output. Um, I, I do I do agree with your concerns on the rebounding. Um, it should just be a better rebounding team. Um, I don't think Eric Williams has really found his stride on coming down and grabbing boards on defense. Um, Frank and Frank and Defale can rebound at points. Um, I think the last few games, Nefale hasn't been 100% healthy. He's just not, I don't know, he's just not moving as well as he did two weeks ago. So that might be something. Um, but I think overall, they're a decent rebounding team. It just should be better at the end of the day. And if you come into contact with somebody who's a really good rebounding team, that could be a, a hellacious night for, for Oregon in that tournament situation. Yeah, that's a good point about Dante. In I think you're on to something there that he hasn't played consistently. And I wonder if it's he, he's dealt with tendonitis in his knees. He's he's just over a year, about 13 months removed from uh, knee surgery last year. Um, I wonder if if he's dealing with you don't want to speculate too much, but I wonder if it's a big man dealing with one of those two things, not saying he retore his ACL, but. No, maybe no. maybe it's just sore or maybe he's dealing with tendonitis, um, which has been something that he's had to deal with um, this season as well as his first year at Oregon. Um, you, you hope he can get back to the, the state that he was in just, I don't know, two or three weeks ago because you look at the game against Oregon State, he had 12 and 11 and a win. He had 12 and 7 both games against the LA schools. Um, he had two blocks against USC, which was really important. And then against Oregon state at home, you know, he got pushed around by Evan Batty against Colorado in that loss. And then he bounced back that, that weekend against Oregon state with a near double, double nine points, 10 rebounds, but he had three blocks and he had two steals and 
he he had an assist and it, he was four or five from the field. It, he was much more active in that yeah. game. And and then in the last two though against Utah and Colorado again, just eight points combined, just five rebounds combined, no block shots, just two steals. Um, you're on to something there. That's kind of where I go back to the the inconsistencies with the depth play because he looked to have turned the corner at, at you know during December. When he, he he had an eleven and seven against Montana, and then backed it up with twelve points and five rebounds against UCR. He had mm-hmm. twenty points and nine rebounds against Portland in December, but then he hit a lull again, and then he hit that stride like we just went through, and now he's going through another lull. Uh, if they can get him rolling again, um, come March, things could things could change here. Um, oh yeah, hundred percent. He's such a difference maker for this team. Real quick, let's. Mm-hmm. I want to talk just five or ten minutes of women's basketball here. You've got to go soon. Sure. We're not going to talk much about um, the game against Washington State because by the time you listen to this podcast, the game's going to be over. Um, they play a, a midweek morning game at Washington State. Just your thoughts on the finish that they have. They've got the Cougars today back-to-back against the Beavers, one at home, one on the road. They have a Uh UCLA non-con game that's now been added to the schedule. They've got Cal and Stanford coming home, and then they finish the season on the road uh, at Colorado and Utah. Just big picture-wise, what's kind of the ceiling you feel like for this team right now? Well, I think they can finish their stretch run with one to two losses. Um, I think ob- the obvious loss in that situation is Stanford at home. Um, Stanford's the number two team in the country. They're, you know, they're just really, really good at the end of the day. They've got a lot of talent um, led by Cameron Brink. Um, this, that's going to be one of the most difficult games of the season. Um, the last time they played was, gosh, I want to say early December in front of no fans up at Stanford or down at Stanford, excuse me. Um, but I do feel, I feel confident in this team. I know that's hard to say after a weekend in Arizona where, uh, Oregon doesn't score more than 50 points in two games. Um, it was tough. It was a lot of inconsistent play. Um, Tahina Pow Pow had, had a lot of struggles with her shot. She got plenty of open looks. She just didn't connect. Um, after Arizona, it seemed like she was, wasn't the biggest fan of the shooting against Arizona State. Um, she took her shots when she had to, but there was a little bit of hesitancy. Um, I think Arizona played her so well ex- on defense um, that she just has this um, kind of has this this blockage that she needs to get her head out of. She needs to go and score 25 and be like, okay, yeah, I can I can still do this now. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, India Rogers and Niar Sabali have been Oregon's best two players the last two games against Arizona and Arizona state, you know, there are few of the few of the players who seemingly, you know, gave it their all for all every minute of the game. And, but really looking forward, this team needs a little more, again, it's another consistency issue, not a little more consistent. They need a lot more consistency on offense because there are games where they can put up 80 points pretty easily. It seems like, and still you, you come away with, 
well, if they just hit a couple more shots here or there, you know, they might have got up to this score. And it's like, yeah, they they might have. Um, they need a lot of help from – not a lot, but they need help from Sydney Parrish and Maddie Shear. Um, Sydney Parrish needs to her, – her, her three-point shooting has been – less than stellar except for her seven, three outing against, uh, I believe it was Cal. Um, other than that, she's been average from the perimeter. Um, she needs to be a sharpshooter for them. She needs to play the Aaron Bowley role. She needs to spread the floor. Um, she starts at power forward. I think she's probably out of position. I think she's more of a small forward than anything else. Um, but she rebounds well for her size. She's gotten better on the defensive end the last couple of games. There's been a lot of good moments with her. Um, she just needs to start hitting threes and spacing the floor. And then with Maddie Shear, um, I think she's a really talented player. She's She does a little bit of everything. She averages just over six points a game, but gets three to four rebounds and three to four assists a night, you know, and, and then provides lockdown quality defense too, which is, you know, one of the most important things on a team that doesn't necessarily have a defensive star and presence like Sachi Sabali was a couple of years ago. So, I like the prospectus of the team. It's just the Pac-12 is a difficult conference in the first place, and it's all about consistency. Um, if this team finds their groove like they did just a, just a week or two ago before this Arizona road trip, you know, they could be dangerous. I don't know if they'll necessarily give Stanford a run for their money because I think Stanford is – I think they could they could easily make the case to be the best team in the country over South Carolina, but that's a different conversation. Um, but I think they can make a deep deep run into the Pac-12 tournament. I think they can make a pretty deep run into the, the NCAA tournament. It'll depend on the matchup, and if they stay healthy, obviously, um, which going into today's game against Washington State, everybody's healthy, but it'll be – It'll be a tough road, and it all starts today against Washington State, who's a who's a solid team. They're six and four in conference. They're that's good enough for fourth place in the conference standings. Uh, same record as Oregon, fourteen and seven. You know, this isn't just a a pushover game against Washington State. This will be a grinded out win, um, and they just need to get back on the winning track. They've got six games in the next in the next two weeks, um, which is. You know, for for college based basketball, that's that's a lot. So, uh, and I think they could easily go five and one over it. Um, I think other than Stanford, I think what this Washington State game is probably the hardest on the road in Pullman in the middle of the week at noon. There are a lot of things going against Oregon to go up there and get a win. So, I think to start off with a win on this this grind of a stretch of six games in two weeks, I think that would really be beneficial for them. Matt, you're on mute. <laughs> Sorry, my dog was barking and I forgot I took took my my mic off. But I was saying that um, it's going to be interesting to see how this team handles the workload that comes yeah. with all this, the travel. I mean, getting in and out of Pullman is not easy sledding. Um, there's no real major airport there. You, you either charter in, which I think Oregon maybe did for this game since it's a one-off, um, yeah. or you have to bus it to Spokane or Idaho to, to get on an airplane um, to, to get back back home. And then 
like you said, a, a Wednesday afternoon game and then gets paired up with a Friday night home game. It's going to be interesting to see how the women handle it, how the women adjust as well. Um, they probably have a better opportunity for a better seed than Oregon does on the men's side. Um, yeah. I, I think hundred percent. And it'll be interesting yeah. to see. I think the question for them is do they host a, a, a pod or do they have to go somewhere as that pod's two seed? I think they're going to probably host, right? I'd be surprised if they host at this point. Really? Yeah. I think they're probably going to go somewhere. I think if they were to have won against Arizona and Arizona State, I think they'd be in much better contention. Um, and honestly, at that point, I think they probably would have been able to host. But dropping to 24th in the country with a 14 and 7 record and 7 and 3 in conference, yeah. just, you know. Killer. Those are, yeah, those are two games where you kind of control your own destiny. Uh, I think they're an obvious tournament team. I think they'll be a decent seed as long as they end the season strong and make a run in the tournament, in the conference tournament. But I think hosting is out the window. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Autos podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back on Friday um, discussing something. I haven't quite figured out the game plan yet for Friday's show. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out by the time it gets here. Uh, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Peace.